0: Join us as we sing. can all take a seat
1: oh good morning uh it's one of my favorite songs in the world right there that's cool thank you guys all right so well i've got reminders here so before i forget you get a chance on your way out um we've got you got to say happy birthday to carrie tritt now he thinks he's still 57 so he's a little delusional but, but they let him out, and uh, as long as Susan stays with him, he's okay. Um, they're also, we're starting, um, we're starting a fund to buy him a walker. So if you, if you want to contribute, um, talk, to, talk to Tammy later. She can help you with that. Okay, so youth group is going to meet tonight at 530, and uh, that's right here at church. Family prayer night is coming up on Tuesday, so... Um that's uh, the that's night that we, instead of having the regular elder meeting, we invite everybody to come in. We meet out in the foyer for at 530, and we have um, uh, just a, a family congregation prayer time. It's really pretty powerful, and um, it's, you know, there's so many things that we need to be in prayer for, and um, the more voices we have that we can lift up, um, the better. And so we'd love to have you there. No, oh, that's two weeks. I just about said next Sunday, but Easter celebration Sunday, April fourth. So that's in two weeks. Uh, we'll have one service at ten o'clock, and um, looking forward to that. So uh, bring a friend, invite your neighbors. Are we going to have anything to hand out like invitations, Shane? I don't think I just caught him flat-footed on that one. So, <laughs> Julie, <laughs> we'll work on that. <laughs> okay invite your friends, your neighbors, anybody you can think of. Uh, Ladies' Fellowship Night, uh, that is Monday, April 12th at 6.30, so there's still time to plan on that one. They'll be making a spring wreath, and it says there's a postcard in the foyer with all the information on that. So all right, let's continue. Oh, now I
0: can... You can go ahead and stand with us as we continue singing. i sure. be our prayer that you never let go of us. Let us carry that through today and this week. Amen.
2: And I'll take a seat. Kids rock. You guys are dismissed.
3: Good morning, how you guys doing? Good you ever have one of those nights where uh you just feel like your life was completely interrupted? yeah, we have dogs and uh turns out some uh young people thought that Liberty Lake Church service started at one thirty last night uh so they were here uh having some kind of event and uh and so my dogs thought they should join into the festivities. That were happening, and so they started barking and singing along with the kids that were singing out in the parking lot at 1.30 in the morning. Turns out I get up at that point i don't I don't get to sleep through those things so i, I woke up this morning uh right around 1.30 and then I went back to that restful sleeping process of every twenty or thirty minutes looking at the clock going, "Is it time to get up yet? Is it time to get up yet?" and so uh, I got up this morning and I went into my office, and I'm like, oh, okay Lord, really." Uh, I need some help. So, if you guys see me get distracted this morning, uh, we'll blame it on the dogs, and uh, it, it's just it's, it'll be part of that process. But um, I, I am excited about the text. I hope I hope this is an encouragement to you uh, and a challenge this morning. It's one of the first times that I've realized that I was looking at, at my cross references this morning. It's one of the first times that I've actually preached a text and only used one New Testament reference. And I was I was looking at that, going, "Wow," and I think you will be encouraged like me when you see uh, the beauty of God's love and grace and His intentional uh, movements, even in the Old Testament today. I I hope that you are encouraged by that as uh, we jump into the text this morning. We're actually going to pick up in Jeremiah chapter 1 again, and uh, we're going to begin there and do part 2 of our introduction to Jeremiah, um, and we're going to follow up in verses 6 through 10 today. Uh, and look at God's response Jeremiah's response to God's call and the Lord's response to him Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning I need extra help and so i'm gonna I'm gonna go to the one that's in charge of this whole thing and and uh, try and get some extra help so I can stay focused this morning Father thanks for your faithfulness thank you for your provision and thank you for your word uh, you promise that it's living and active and that, if we open it and engage with it and apply our hearts to it, Lord, I know you can change us, you can grow us, and you can use this, uh, Lord, for your glory. So I would pray this morning as we enter into your word, you know I'm tired, and you know the distractions of my heart, and um, I need your help today uh, to, to be focused and to, uh, to walk through the, the time that we've spent. Uh, you and I have spent this week wrestling with this text. And so I ask, the Lord, that you would um, silence the distractions in my own mind, silence the distractions in our mind as a church today, and open our ears and our hearts to what you would say uh, to us, your people, uh, through your word today. In your name, amen. I should uh, warn you as well, a secondary distraction is that Sally and I get to do our walk through our house tomorrow, and so we, we're we not anxious about it at all. Uh, we're not like you know five years old five year olds waiting for Christmas to come and and uh it's just been great so um there's a lot happening I just wanted to warn you because especially if you're new uh there's there's times where I can just it can be a little scary how my head works so I just wanted you to be aware that it could happen today I'm excited about the text. Jump into Jeremiah chapter 1 with me this morning. We're going to read just the first 10 verses and kind of be reminded of where we were at last week and then jump into the, to Jeremiah's response this morning. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who was in Anani- uh, Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow to build, and to plant. Last week, as we looked at this, we saw that the God, the, the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah and gave him a directive. He said, go and do this. Uh, and, and this week, it's, it's just been uh, culminating in my heart how God introduced himself. And, and he, he reminded Jeremiah of who he was. I was there and I formed you in the womb. I, I did all of these things before you were born. I consecrated you. I've appointed you. Remember, I'm creator God. I'm the author of your life. And therefore, I'm giving you a directive. I've made you for this purpose and I put you here on earth at this time specifically for this purpose. I don't know if that has been an encouragement to you, but this week I've really been wrestling with that saying, man, do I see God that way? Have I, have I really allowed God to be the author, the creator that he claims to be in my life and therefore my life reflect that truth in how I trust him, how I serve him, how, how I uh, exercise obedience with him? Even how I drive on the road or relate to anxiety. Am I trusting him? Am I, am I confident in that? And, and don't you guys love Jeremiah's response? Who does he remind you of in his response? Another, another, another uh, one of God's prophets, right? Right? You know, it's, it's Moses, several other people, you guys are like, well, there's this one, and then there's this one, and I mean, look at all that, we're going to look at a couple of the guys that have a similar response, Moses being one of them. But do you see what, what Jeremiah says? He goes, ah, Lord, hey, good to see you. He recognizes who he is. He's like, Lord, God, Yahweh,
2: um, you got the wrong guy.
3: Uh, I know you made me. And I know that you, you, you know, you've chosen me for this job, but, man, I don't know how to speak, and, and I'm too young. I'm, I'm only a youth. And uh, God responds to that, right? And, and I love, I love that, that Jeremiah is so honest about his, uh, his approach. I think one of the challenges when I first started in ministry, I approached ministry like, I, you guys were blessed to have me kind of thing. Uh, and in fact, I think as a young man, I, I felt like God was blessed to have me in his, in his kingdom. Um, and I realized very quickly as I interacted with more mature believers that I was really not the blessing. Um, and in fact, as a parent now and as an older, a, a more mature man in ministry, I'll be careful how I use old. Um, as a more mature man in ministry, I realized that in my youth, I was far from a blessing. I was oftentimes a burden uh, because of my youthfulness and because of, of that arrogance. And, and what's beautiful about uh, Jeremiah's response is I think there was a genuine humility that was present. And he acknowledges where he's at in the culture that he's in. And he says, I am unable to speak and I'm too young. Uh, look, we're we're going to look just for a second at Moses, Exodus chapter 4. Because it is Moses is one of the great uh, representations of this, or he, he models this very, very well. And I love the distinction between them. Uh, in our craftsman ministry, we were looking at Gideon. We looked at Moses last week, and it's kind of amazing the different responses that you see from the different prophets. But Moses is, is a great example. Uh, Exodus 4, starting in verse 10. I won't, we won't do the whole story. We'll just catch kind of the end of this. Um, and, and remember, so this is this is the third or fourth rejection that God that Moses is giving the Lord. He's he's made several objections, and God has solved those objections with miraculous signs, and, and He's given him authority, and He's even said, "I'll put my words in your mouth. I'll do all this." So this is this is uh, this is the Lord's response in, in Moses' conversation with him in Exodus four ten. But Moses said to the Lord, "O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, "Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go and I will put I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say, uh, what, or teach you and uh, what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else.
2: (laughs) Don't you love that?
3: (laughs) You can't miss the fact that Moses actually looks at the Lord and says, I haven't been good at talking. In fact, since you've you've, uh, met with me here, nothing's changed. Like, I've miraculously gotten better at speaking since you and I began this conversation. There's been all kinds of other miracles going on, but Moses is saying, you haven't given me the right one. You haven't proven that this is actually going to work. And what is God's response to him? He he says, who's the one that gives man speech? Who makes his mouth? Who's the one that designs him? Very much like God's introduction to Jeremiah. I was there. I crafted you in the beginning. I made you this way. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. The thing I appreciate about Moses is he finally gets to the heart of the issue, right? He goes, God, pick someone else. That job stinks, and I'm not interested. Let's just be honest. We, we kind of have uh, uh, some similarities here with our brothers in the Old Testament. I had a season in my life where I believed that the church stunk. and Pastoring was the worst job you could have. And uh, we were up in Aeneas Valley, and, and the church came and said, uh, hey, would you mind preaching for a year? And I said, fine, but I'm only doing it for a year. I will not do this again. Well, that year came, and I said, you better find somebody because I'm out of here. They said, we did. And I'm like, you're being a smart Alec. Knock it off. I'm not staying. And uh, God moved us seven and a half years later out of Eunice Valley. And um, during that process, one of the things that I began to learn about what it meant to be a, a, a disciple of, Christ was that when God calls, we go. You know, the irony in that is that my bride and I started off looking at missions, and that was kind of our motto. Wherever God calls, we'll go. Sounds wonderful. Wait till he calls you to Enes Valley. That'll change your whole perspective on life. It was an amazing time, but I think there's so often that we look at God and, and, he, and He asks of things for us, and we have our excuses very much like Jeremiah. And, and again, I'm not—I I really am not beating up on Jeremiah. I think I think he was far more compliant than I've been in my life in responding to the word of the Lord, responding to a call from God. Second thing, and I think it's, it's ironic that he would say that I'm a youth, right? Did God ever call young people into ministry in the, at this time? He did. In fact, if you jump over to 1 Kings, uh, one of the great, great kings of Israel, and I, and I picked Solomon on purpose because he starts out so well, and unfortunately he doesn't end well, but he starts off very, very well. And I think many of us would be in a similar boat. We want to start off very well. But in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 6, we're going to see response to the hand of God in Solomon's life when he becomes king of Israel, and he responds to this this. Responsibility uh, in his communication with the Lord. Solomon, or First uh, Kings chapter three, starting in verse six. I, I want to encourage you: read all of chapter three. Mark this down because there's some, there's some beautiful pieces in here about Solomon's relationship with the Lord as it starts. But in verse 6, he says, And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? I love his response, I'm but a child. I I don't even know how to come and go. I have no idea what to do with this job. I have no idea how to handle this responsibility. I love his heart, and and I love that he started there. Uh, Because I think oftentimes, even when when we receive uh, direction from the Lord, it might not be wise for us to say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Would you give me wisdom? Would you give us discernment how to address It's one of the things I so deeply appreciate about um, our elders here and the privilege that I have to meet with these men is that there's, there's not a few times that we stop and say, God, we need you to tell us what to do. It is a regular practice of ours to actually say, God, just show us what you want. Show us how to do this well. Uh, and what a privilege it is to be involved in that. One of the other ironies in this is, and we're not going to look at it this morning, um, but mar- you can mark in your Bible 2 Kings 22, 1 through 2. But Josiah was, was the, the king that Jeremiah is being called to prophesy under. The first king is Josiah. Guess when he became king? Eight years old, eight or nine years old. I think it's actually, I think it says eight in, in, in 2 Kings. Eight years old. So this is the 13th year of his reign, which means he's, he just turned
2: 21. He's been reigning <laughs> he's been
3: reigning for 13 years. Man, I hit 11 years of youth ministry and I thought I had had everything under control. I had have figured out. Here this young man starts at the age of 8. So here do you see the irony of that Jeremiah's going, "I'm too young to do this." And God's going, "No, I've got a kid I've been using young pen like you for a while. Just trust me. Let's go. Here he has Josiah in as king of Israel at eight. Again, a beautiful response. It's it's probably an accurate response, except for the fact that the God who created Jeremiah was the one who called him. The God who formed him before Jeremiah he was, who did the forming of him before he was born, when he was born, the one who consecrated, set him apart, designed him for this purpose. That's the God that called him.
2: And interestingly enough, right, Jeremiah's focus was on what? On himself.
3: I'm too young. I can't speak. Have you ever feel that way in ministry? I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this. I'm not as good as that person. Why am I the one that you're asking to do this? I don't like
2: cleaning toilets. Whatever it is.
3: So often it's focused on us. And the Lord's response actually begins with this conversation with Jeremiah. What does he say at the end of verse, or in the middle of verse seven? But the Lord said, to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to, to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. The Lord speaks directly into that and says, don't tell me, don't describe to me who you are. I just told you, I know. I made you just this way. I've, I'm, I'm the one that designed you for this job. I know exactly what I'm doing. And then he begins and starts talking about what he's going to do. And uh, in our preaching team discussion this week, it was, uh, it was just encouraging. Um, one of the guys actually referenced, he goes, man, have you noticed how much God's reminding Jeremiah about himself? I'm going to do this. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to put my words in. I'm going to look at, as you read through Jeremiah chapter 1, look at how often God's like, I'm on it. I'm the one. I am. You could just go, I am. All of your questions, when Jeremiah, when you have a problem, I am. And he does this here, and he says, Don't say I'm a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. Man, I did the third time I finally got that sentence right. That that one took me a while. Do whatever I command you. That the Lord's response is, This is what's gonna happen. You're gonna go and do what I told you to do. Have you guys ever actually felt God's hand in your life where it's like, no, you're going to go do this? Is there a point in your life where you realize that the Lord was not giving you an option? You know, I, t- I told you that uh, about a year into the ministry at Aeneas Valley, I was still telling them absolutely no, I'm not going to do it. And so in my thinking, I wanted some support for that, for my perspective. And so I drive back to Vancouver, which was the church that, that I was actually, uh, God had been had sallying out for about two years, restoring our marriage and kind of resetting our focus in life. And uh, I went back to the pastor there who was, who was planning on me helping him plan a church back in Vancouver. And I'm like, Clyde, this is what's going on in my life. And I just don't, I really don't want to be up here. And I remember we were sitting at uh, it was this ice cream burger shop out in, in, the, in the area. And he looks at me and goes, you know, when you first left, I was pretty upset with the Lord. I'm like, what is, are you doing? Here we've poured two years into this guy. He's supposed to be going and planting a church. What are you thinking? And he goes, now, after that, that, that two years was gone, he said, now I, f- I finally realized what God was, was doing. And that's where you're supposed to be. I'm like, you're not helping me at all. I'm looking for biblical support for why I shouldn't have to stay there. It took almost another year before I finally gave up and surrendered. It's a, I, I, I meant to have a quote with me this morning, and I forgot to bring it, but uh, I think it's E. Stanley. Uh, is the guy that says it, but uh, he makes this reference to uh, a boat hook and how when you, if you're on, the, on a boat and you're throwing a, bo- a boat hook off and, and hook the shore and you start dragging yourself uh, into the shore, are you pulling the shore to you or are you pulling yourself to the shore? You're pulling your, yeah, we're realigning the boat, we're realigning ourselves and attaching to the shore. Why? Because when our hook's set, it's set on something solid, secure, foundation. And it comes to this with our will. It comes to that with how we respond to God and we follow him when he gives us directives. We're not actually out there trying to throw him an answer. Here, Lord, this is a better plan. Why don't you set that one out there? I'll go get that one. You know, I think I'm so selfish that if he actually took my plan and said, great idea. Here, go do this. I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa wait. Let's, can we renegotiate this? Because I have not thought that one through all the way. But with Jeremiah, he literally says to him, "Don't say that. Go, do what I've told you to do." I, I, I love how um, these kind of directives happen, and and I know that we don't really like to hear from the Lord this way. But I look in Ezekiel chapter two. Uh, this is Ezekiel's call. God's calling him in into the the ministry as well, and. Uh, As you're going to see in this text, he's calling him into a very challenging ministry. It's not one of the good church ministries that he's going to get, where everything's great. Um, It makes Enius Valley probably look like a a, a, you know a a wonder park enjoyment, like a a fun house. But if you look at Ezekiel chapter two, uh, starting in verse three, says this, and he said to me, "Son of man, I'm sending you to the people of Israel, so nations to nations of rebels." Who have rebelled against me? They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also were imp- impotent and stupid, or stubborn. Excuse me. Clearly, you can see what I was thinking. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, "Thus says the Lord." And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Let that process for just a minute. Hey, your ministry is going to involve a whole lot of pleasant things. Briars and thorns and scorpions and the threats of the people that I'm sending you to. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. God does send
2: his people into difficult ministries.
3: I would be willing to challenge each one of us to say that, that the call to discipleship is a dangerous call. And although it is free, I believe it will cost us
2: everything if we surrender and follow.
3: That's a decision that we get to make, um, I guess at some level, or we think we get to make. And yet when you see how God calls his people, when we hear that, it sure appears that we are uh, that we're to respond to him and, and we should take uh, counsel from those who have responded in history uh, to maybe learn from them. How many of you guys would love it if your children would learn from your mistakes just by you telling them? Amen, right? We would sleep better. We'd have more hair. I mean, life would be better all the way around if they would just learn from our mistakes and do what we ask. Like, don't do that. Okay, Dad, I won't do that. Doesn't work. Hopefully, at least once or twice, it'll work in your lives. Kids, if your parents say don't do that, don't do it. They're not just trying to make your life miserable. I promise. Exodus chapter 3. I love the fact that we see in Ezekiel, it says, don't be afraid, right? Because we're going to see that in Jeremiah as well. Don't be afraid. Obviously, God's sending them into a ministry that's uh, going to have difficulty and require them to trust the Lord and to not be fearful. Because the temptation is in our fear is to stop doing what God's called them to do. Right?
2: Do we ever respond in fear to anything and stop doing what God's called us to do?
3: Unfortunately, I believe we do. Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, this is earlier in Moses' dialogue with the Lord. And uh, this, this, this is the kind of the beginning of the process where he's telling him, I'm really not interested in what you're offering here, Lord. And God responds to him to encourage him as he's telling him what's coming. He says this in Exodus 3, uh, verse, verse 12. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt uh, out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And I think that it's such a beautiful picture, Um, and and we actually see this in verse 8 of Jeremiah. He says, don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. That is such an incredible promise that God gives his servants. I am with you. Now, the contrast, the difficulty, I think, for me is that I would like for I am with you and you will not experience any pain, suffering, or difficulty. I would love to have that attached to the I am with you, right? I mean, is, isn't that really at times our heart when we see God promise this kind of stuff, that we would like it to mean that our lives will be easy and pleasant? And in some perspectives, you guys, our lives are easy and pleasant. In, in, in many, many ways, we don't live some of the significantly difficult challenges of the Christian life because we're, we're in America. And, and there, we have great blessings here, great, great liberties and freedoms here that, that are not afforded many Christians in other nations. But it does not mean that your life currently will not come with conflict and challenges and difficulties. I desperately wanted to throw my clothes and run out
2: with a flashlight last night and ask them if they knew Jesus. <laughs> that was not the first thing that I was thinking about asking them. Faithfully following the Lord in
3: these moments, God is is uh, what a re, what what a beautiful response that he has to Jeremiah. Don't tell me who you are. Remember who I am and go do what you're told. Does that how does that make you guys feel when you hear that? Cuz I didn't like that when I was when I was working through this process and I realized that's really what God just told him. Don't tell me what your problems are. Remember who I am and go do what you're told. I'm like, I'm not a child anymore. You can't talk to me that way. Right? Don't, did any of you guys feel that a little bit? I mean, some, some of us are like red blooded Americans. Ain't nobody going to tell us what to do. I even have a hard time with them telling me
2: how fast I can drive my car. Don't you know how this, what this is designed for? I'm going to behave.
3: Watch, watch what, this, what happens in this text. It's absolutely incredible what God does with Jeremiah in this next text. And, uh, verse 9, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now, this, this Hebrew word touched, it literally means the, the, the definition is touch, touch violently or to strike. That's what the Hebrew word is. The, the, the picture here is that he the, that he actually reached out and slapped him. That's that's the picture in the Hebrew. I don't know if any of you guys have had that moment where your parents have walked up, my mom was four foot ten. And what we did not want to have happen is for her to catch the back of our head when we were sassing. Right? Because four foot ten has a great foundation, which translate to translates to a ton of velocity at the end of that back of the head slap. Have you guys ever, anybody else ever had their parent or an authority figure come up behind you and go, hey, get, get with the program. Anybody? Some, all right, some of you guys are being honest. My mom, this is how bad my mom was uh, and she's watching right now, so love you, mom. Um, <laughs> My mom, she got in really big trouble because uh, she went into Burgerville, which is, uh, uh, that was the major uh, burger joint that, that we had in Battleground. And um, I was known to be there a lot. And this one day she walks in and she was looking for me and she thought it was me and she smacks me in the back of the head. And this poor high schooler turns around like, what in the world? <laughs> she smacked somebody else's kid. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, but it was meant for me. And that's the affection of a mother at times, I guess. But this is what God does. He actually, that's what the Hebrew is, that in Jeremiah's response to the Lord, he got smacked. And the Lord says, hey,
2: get with the program, Junior. Don't forget who I
3: am. One of my favorite scenes in um, Kingdom of Heaven is this movie, and it's all dramatized Hollywood eyes. It's, it's, I don't know that it's any ac- anything of accuracy at all, but it, it's back when, when in the crusades uh, for Jerusalem. And, and this one kid who becomes a knight, he's back there. And, and uh, in his argument, his, his father, who he didn't know, and comes along and he's given him the, this, this, this creed of what it means to be a knight and to be a man of honor and all this. And he slaps him. In the middle of this creed, he's explaining all this stuff, and he slaps him. He says, that, that's to remind you that the pain will help cement this into your mind so you won't forget it. And later on in the movie, the kid, the, this knight does this with a young kid who's terrified about this impending doom that's coming, and he gives him this dad's speech, and as he finishes it up, he smacks him. And I think that that's the picture of this, is that, that when you think about Jeremiah's response to the Lord, I don't think it was, it wasn't that he was angry with him, it's that he was, it was setting his mind, he was setting his, his thinking straight on this. There's times where I've needed to be smacked and reminded by God that he is God and I am not. Isaiah says the same thing. It's actually the exact same word in Hebrew in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 7. Isaiah comes before the Lord, and he sees this vision, and, and he can't speak. And in verse 7, uh, we actually see the, the text says this, And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And it was, he brought the hot coal out of the fire and came and touched his mouth. It's the same word. It has the same uh, um, picture of a violent touch or, or, or a striking. And yet out of that process, right, God, God puts his words into Jeremiah's mouth and he goes out and he begins to speak the words of the Lord, the things that he was called to do. And you, you actually see, we'll, we'll see this in the text, that at this point Jeremiah, after this interaction with the Lord, he faithfully and begins to faithfully serve the Lord. Now, I'm, I, I know as you guys read through the text with me, you're going to see this, Jeremiah has rough days. In fact, we're going to see his, uh, at some point, we're going to jump in and see uh, his, his scribe has a really rough day, and God comes alongside of him and says, um, so you want glory for yourself or something like that? <laughs> they were having a bad day, and uh, the Lord had to come down and, and, and check their attitude. We'll look at that at another time. But God, in his love and in his grace, shows up for Jeremiah and, and, and puts his words in his mouth and gives him the things to say. I'll be honest with you. There are, there are. Uh, I'm always. I gotta stop saying that. I'm always honest with you guys. To a point, probably to a fault at times. In my experience in preaching, uh, some of the greatest um, results, the most meaningful sermons for me, have been times where I've entered into them, not completely sure where we were going, where I've wrestled with something for the whole week, and I'm praying and asking God to to tell me what it is that he wants, and there's, there's pieces that are missing. And it, and it happens up here at times where where it, God shows up at that moment. I'll just tell you, that's terrifying. If any of you have an appointment with something to do, and you don't have it all done, and you, some of you guys are perfect people, right? You guys like everything laid out, a plan for everything. Any of you guys in, yeah? Yep, I'm my bride's one. Uh, some of you... No, that's terrifying for me. I don't, look, I don't like looking like an idiot. I really don't. I, I hate the idea of being in front of people and it terrifies me to stumble through some of the names. You'll see me do it as I'm reading. So being asked to be a pastor and having to speak publicly, I'm like, that's a bad idea. And yet, in all the years that I've had the privilege of doing this, I don't actually remember Sunday where I've come Unsure of, of everything that was going to happen, desperately dependent on the Lord and having Him not show up. Now, I don't like it. I still don't like it today. Like, I, I don't like being in those moments. It, t- way, it requires me to trust the Lord way too much for my comfort. But He's never not shown up on a Sunday when I've come with the humility and, and with a genuine need for Him to be here. And I believe that Jeremiah is experiencing that reality as, as God's confronting his misunderstanding of who he is in, sight, in, in God's kingdom, of who God is as the creator, and he puts his words in his mouth and, and empowers Jeremiah to go out and do the ministry. And the last thing that we see is that, that God lays out for him what he's going to do and, and what it's going to look like as he does this. He says that he sets him over nations and kingdoms and and that he's going to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And um, I've just got a couple of passages that we're going to walk through as as we look at this picture and and I believe end on a very, um, well, I'm hoping it's very encouraging because it's just, it's spectacular who this God of the Old Testament is uh, in his character and nature. But uh, the first spot that we see is Jeremiah 18, uh, verses 1 through 11. Um, this is a portion where God's responding to, uh, to the people of Israel. He's responding to Jeremiah and he's sharing with him kind of who he is and, and what his prerogative, who, who, what he gets to do in this process. Uh, verse 18, or Chapter 18, verse 1 of Jeremiah. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house. And there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom, that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation and or or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, says the Lord to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. Jeremiah's got this, he's been given the responsibility to share the words of the Lord with Israel, which include the the devastating realities of being plucked up, broken down, destroyed, and overthrown. The consequences of rebellion and sin and practicing evil that the nation of Israel was, was promised if they continued to live in that behavior. But the beauty of, of Jeremiah 18 is God says, it's my prerogative. If, if I come to a nation and I give them these warnings and they change, they repent of their evil, it's my prerogative to do something different with them, to, to give them blessing. But if you're a nation that's blessed and you choose evil instead of that as my people, it's my prerogative then to, bring, to remove that blessing. And then he says to Israel, do you see the warning he gives them? I'm bringing disaster upon you because of your wickedness. Turn away and return to me. Implying that he wants to offer to them that redemptive privilege of the God of the universe that says, when you respond to my warnings, I will relent from bringing that disaster upon you.
2: What a beautiful, beautiful picture.
3: Amos speaks of a, of a promise that comes for Israel, this, this grace that God is extending to the nation of Israel, this hope that's there. And I was planning on going to 2 Corinthians 10. We'll, I'm going to do that at another time. But in this, build, in this tearing down and this destruction, in Jeremiah, we actually see that God intends to also build up and plant. That He's, always, he's got a, a grace plan that results in the res- restoration of Israel, in, into restoring the promise of his people, the faithfulness uh, for those who, who, who live in obedience to that and who respond to him. And in Amos, at the end of Amos, he actually gives this promise uh, that, that he's going to restore Israel, that he's going to return the nation, uh, and, and he has a plan for that. And if you look at Amos chapter 9, verse 11, it says this, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins and, and rebuild it in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And that all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seeds. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. And the amazing part, we know that that Jesus fulfills that that forever kingdom that's promised. In fact, we'll we'll see this new covenant that's coming in Jeremiah as we go through the text uh, down the road. But what a beautiful picture that that is. They hear at the end of Amos, and if you read all of Amos, it's, it's a prophet that's going to the people of, of Israel saying, Stop what you're doing. Punishment is coming. Exactly what we see God telling uh, Jeremiah that it's his prerogative to do. If they will repent, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, he will take the prerogative to, to repurpose them and, and to change the plan. In fact, the heart of God is so present in the Old Testament that we have to go back and finish with one of my favorite prophets uh, in in the Old Testament, and that's Jonah. Turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter twelve or chapter three, verse starting in verse ten. There is no twelve in Jonah. If you get to twelve in Jonah, you have a whole other book. Jonah chapter three. Starting in verse 10. Now, this is after Jonah has, has heard from the Lord, ran, uh, ended up in the, in the whale, went to Nineveh, gave him, their pro, gave him the, the proclamation of what they had to do. And this is their response, God's response to them, to the people of Nineveh, starting in verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Verse uh, Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you see what Jonah's saying? He says, I know who you are. You are a gracious, kind God that relents from bringing evil on those who repent, those who turn from their wicked ways. The same thing that we see in Amos, the same, the same promise that we see in Jeremiah. That's the God that Jonah knows this Yahweh to be, this creator God. And, of course, his, his thought was, it's so horrible that Nineveh is going to be saved and forgiven by you that it's better for me to die than to watch your grace be extended to people like you said it would be. And the Lord says, do you do good to be
2: angry? What was Jonah saying?
3: Hey, you know, creator God, this, you know, this gracious God, you messed up on Nineveh. They're worse than you think they are. You should trust my judgment, just wipe them out. That's really what he's saying. You got it wrong, Lord. Uh, you, you really, you really aren't, aren't correct on this. Much like I think Jeremiah is doing, much like, much like I do at times, and yet that's the beauty of the grace of God. It's the beauty of, of, I believe, the heart of God. And it's part of the great covenant of Abraham that we actually see being fulfilled, even in the Old Testament, where he's redeeming the nations, not just the Jews, but Gentiles as well. Because they're responding to him. Which culminates, obviously, in the great uh, uh, completion of the work of Christ on the cross, which results in you and I having access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, uh, having eternal, the access to eternal life and forgiveness of our sins. It all works together, but this is the nature and the heart of God the Father who in his call of Jeremiah, as Jeremiah responds to him and says, ah, you got the wrong guy, he reminds him who he is and says, I will be with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Go and do what I've told you to do. I've got it. Don't forget who I
2: am. I've got it.
3: I wonder if we need to have that conversation with the Lord today. You know, we, we talked about it last week, asking God what he's called you to do. What is it that he's put on your heart to do? <laughs> if it's go to Starbucks and have a coffee?
2: Could be. Maybe.
3: But my guess is it might require something from you as well. At least in, in my life, the moments that, I've, that I know God was moving, it cost me something. Time, energy, I had to, I had to give, get over some fear, or some some worry, some issue of anxiousness. What is it that God's calling you to do? And have you had this conversation with Him? You got the wrong person, Lord. You don't know how bad I am.
2: In fact, when the elders at Aeneas Valley called
3: me, I went to him and I said, um... You guys do know who I am, right? I've shared with you all my sinfulness, all my brokenness. You know who I am, right? Yeah. Okay, so you can't be possibly asking me to do this job. That's not
2: how that works. What is God calling
3: you into that you're not capable of? Where is it that he might be calling you up where he would get the glory and not us? Again, remember what Jesus does through this whole thing. He says, I'm, or what Yahweh says through this whole thing. I'm going to do that for at least a couple of months, you guys. I'll be jumping back into the New Testament. You'll probably hear me say Mark at some point in time. But what Yahweh's doing in this process is he's reminding Jeremiah that this is about God, not about Jeremiah. This is about who he is, not about who Jeremiah is. We don't accomplish being faithful disciples today because you and I are so wonderfully and perfectly equipped for the task. We are faithful and we accomplish great things because the creator of the universe who designed us for this time and for this purpose and for this place said, Hey, I'm with you. Go. That's where our strength comes from. That's where the confidence, that's where success comes from in ministry. My guess is it'll require each one of us to to actually have a conversation with the Lord and say, but uh, are you sure you got the right one? Go and talk to John Haley. He's better at this than me.
2: Go talk to somebody else. I'm not the guy. I'm not the gal. I'm too young, too old. I don't drive the right car. Whatever our excuses might be. God met Jeremiah, and he gave him that gentle love tap. Whack! Don't forget who I am. I'm not asking. I designed you for this. Now go.
3: Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that you are gracious, even in your correction of our hearts, even in your call. But God, I pray that as we consider what it means to faithfully serve you, to respond to your call in our lives, the grace of a God who who responds to the Gentile nation, who responds to a rebellious people and offers your forgiveness, offers your solution to that sin. Father, I pray that as we consider responding to you today, that we would remember who you are, And remember that you are the one that is the creator. You're the one that does the design. You're the one that calls us into service. You are our king, our creator, and our God. And we want to respond to you with a right, reverent, worshipful response. And say, God, I don't feel capable. I need your direction. I need your wisdom. Much like Solomon said. Show me what to do. Show me how to do it. Help me overcome my fear and my inadequacies. Help me to trust you more.
2: God, we want to be those people. We want to respond to you.
3: And Lord, we want to faithfully serve you this week, this year, in our community, in our work, in our homes. We want to represent you well.
2: I feel inadequate to do it. And
3: yet, God, that's what you've called us to do as your disciples. Help us to do that even this week. Let us know what it is individually, Lord. I don't know what everybody's call is in their life. I know what you're calling me to do. And I pray Lord, that you would you would speak so clear and so loudly
2: that we can't miss it
3: And uh Lord, we would just want to hear from you this week, so guide us and direct us in what we do, and, and teach us to surrender. Help us to recognize that we're, we're actually pulling our boat to your shoreline. We're not pulling you to us. We're not, we're not asking you to change your will to fit ours. But We're aligning ours with you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you're a merciful and gracious God, relenting from bringing disaster. Thank you that that is the character of who you are, and it's reflected in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can see it all throughout the Old Testament in who you are by nature. Guide us and direct us this week, Lord, as we worship you every day in everything we do because you are worthy of our praise. In your name, amen.
2: You want to stand with us for our last song?
0: And may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a good week. We'll see you
2: next week.